to the borough at Pittman Park. Today is the start of a brand new sermon series. We're in a brand new season of the year called Lent. And, and throughout Lent, um, we're going to be studying who Christ is, who Jesus is. Because a lot of us, we have some preconceived notions about who Jesus is and what Jesus is about, but we've never actually taken the time to study what God's Word says about who Jesus actually is. Is. We know all about Jesus' birth, right? We know that he was born as a baby in a manger to a, a mama named Mary and a daddy named Joseph. Um, and there were all these prophecies, and that was all good. We all know that story, right? Like, we are, we are all familiar with the birth story of Jesus. We've all seen the manger scenes with Santa Claus kneeling and praying there. You've seen this, right? Santa Claus kneeling. That is not biblical. But <laughs> it's because we don't know that much about Jesus, right? We, we have an idea about the stories about who Jesus is and what Jesus is about. But the truth is, we're really only familiar, we're really only familiar with the birth narrative, the birth story, and the story of his death and his resurrection. And we don't really know those stories well. You, do you ever feel that way? Like, I know about Jesus' birth, I know about his death, but what happened in the intervening 33 years? What happened in the in-between. What was Jesus about? What was Jesus doing? And the truth is, we don't know a whole lot about Jesus' childhood, but we do know what happens from the moment he goes into the River Jordan and is baptized, and he comes out of those waters, and the Spirit of God descends on him. We know what happens from then until the end of his life, or at least we have a pretty decent picture of who Jesus was and what Jesus was about from that moment to the end of his life. So this morning, we're beginning a brand new series called Who is This Man? Who is this man named Jesus who turns the world upside down, who can turn our lives upside down, who occupies even today so much of our thinking, inspires books about his life and ministry, and even stands at the center of so much conflict and controversy in this world? Who is this man? So if you will, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. We're going to begin right after Jesus' baptism. Jesus has come out of the waters of baptism. John the Baptist baptized and he comes out of the waters. The heavens break open. Spirit of God descends on him. And then you get this episode from Matthew 4, 1 to 11. But before we, we get into the text, I want to share with you a little bit about Matthew's gospel. Matthew's gospel is different than Mark's gospel. And Mark's, excuse me, Matthew's gospel is different from Luke's gospel. And it's certainly different from John's gospel. You can kind of put Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the same camp. But John's doing his own thing over here. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're actually stories in those scriptures that match up almost word for word. They're called synoptic gospels. It means they look the same. That's what the Greek word synoptic means. They, they look the same when you put them side by side. They just choose different stories at different times to include in Jesus' life and in his ministry. And Matthew's gospel is not written to just anybody. It's not a sort of a historical account of who Jesus was. It's a letter written to a group of churches in Asia Minor, probably churches that are Jewish and Christian sort of mixed together. And the Jewish, the Jewish individuals in the community are having to make some hard choices about who it is they're going to follow and how it is that they're going to be living out their life and their faith. The community, the community that Matthew is writing to is an established church, and they've heard They've heard the teaching of the apostles, 
And they've heard even Paul's teaching. And what Matthew is doing is he's saying, you've heard this, but let me sort of give you an authoritative account of Jesus' life. Matthew is, is preoccupied with making sure that Jesus, that his life, his death, and his resurrection are connected to the older Jewish traditions and the older Jewish uh, prophecies about who he is and what he was about. So that's a little bit about Matthew. So Matthew writes a very particular, or gives us a very particular image of who this man is, this Jesus is, for his context. So let's turn our attention to Matthew 4, 1 to 11. This is what Matthew writes. He says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. I would imagine that you and I would be hungry if we had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, that seems like a logical conclusion, and the scriptures say that after 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry as we all would be. And in that moment when Jesus is famished, when he's hungry, it says that the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now remember, Jesus is almighty. He's, he's, he's all powerful. He is God in the flesh. He has this power and this ability. He could do just what the tempter is asking him to do. He has that power. But Jesus answers him in verse 4. He says, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil sweeps him away. The devil took him up to the holy city and placed him at the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Don't you like that trick? Satan says, for it is written in scripture, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, do not put your Lord to the test. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all of their splendor. And he said to them, said to him, all of this I will give you if you will but fall down. And worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. So after Jesus is declared Son of God at his baptism in the previous chapter of Matthew's gospel, he's driven, he's led by the Spirit out into the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil. Now I want to show you what the wilderness looks like um, in Judea. This is the wilderness. Um, when I think of wilderness, when I thought of wilderness growing up, I thought of, oh, there's trees and there's woods. Certainly there's pine trees there, right? Because I grew up in the south. You say wilderness, I think, you know, planted pines and snakes and stuff like that. But this is the Judean wilderness. Um, and you can imagine that this is not an easy place to live, right? The whole terrain is up and down. It's up and down and up and down and up and down. And you go up a mountain to go down a valley to go up another bigger mountain down into a deeper valley. It's up and down the whole way through the wilderness. So you can imagine that after 40 days and 40 nights of Jesus being in this environment with heat and cold and wind and rain, nothing but scrub bushes, that he wasn't just famished. He was probably 
exhausted. The wilderness is a desert. For Matthew, Jesus didn't come out into the desert, into this barren place in the middle of nowhere to set up camp and, and roast marshmallows around a campfire. Jesus was in the wilderness for a purpose, to confront evil and to be tempted by the devil. Matthew has Jesus prepare for this moment when he's going to face temptation. He's going to face the very face of evil. He prepares for that moment by fasting. I don't know if, if you've ever given fasting a try, but fasting, fasting can be hard work. It can be an incredibly transformative thing in your life and in your faith, but fasting can be tough. You, you know what the real power of temptation is if you've ever tried to fast from chocolate. I hear people do that every, every Lent. They're like, this year, no chocolate for Lent, right? And that's hard because the good chocolate candy is out. Some of you are fasting right now. The good chocolate candy is out, right? Cadbury cream eggs, bird's eggs, chocolate bunnies, right? Some of you are like, I'm breaking Lent, right? It's Sunday. I get a free pass on Sundays, right? <laughs> Some of us are tempted by chocolate, right, and, and uh, avoiding that temptation is hard. Some of you decided this year you're giving up tea, and that's like giving up a double addiction because you're giving up sugar and caffeine at the same time, right? When you give up sweet tea, that's close to suffering for the gospel, right? <laughs> Not really, but it feels like it. I grew up uh, in a house where we drank like a gallon and a half of tea a day. I, we, we just, that's all we had to drink. You either drank water or you drank sweet tea. Just how we grew up. And when I went off to college and I thought, I'll give a sweet tea fast, I thought I was going to die for a little while. <laughs> um, and, and so I thought, well, all of this, you know, the sugar and, and sweet tea and, and all isn't good for you. You've got to kick that habit. So um, some of you have replaced one thing with another thing. I did this. I replaced sweet tea with Diet Coke. Any of you addicted to Diet Coke? I was addicted the Diet Coke for a little while. There were times about a year ago um, before last Lent when I decided I was going to stop drinking Diet Coke where I couldn't remember over the course of like a day or two of drinking anything else besides Diet Coke. That's an addiction, y'all. Nothing in your life should have so much power and control that you can't remember drinking or eating anything else but that. That is not healthy. It's full of all kinds of terrible stuff. And I, I realized that this, this drink had control over me in a way that no drink should. So I stopped cold turkey last Ash Wednesday. And it was hard, right? Like the first day came and I had headaches. And I would lay down at bed at night and sweat. And then I was running. Here's, you want to hear the grossest part of this whole thing? I had started training for a half marathon about that time, right? And when I would run, there was so much salt in my body from this stuff that I was drinking that my sweat would turn white. You don't realize sometimes the power that the things that you're tempted by have over you. Sometimes you don't realize how bad the habits that you formed over the course of your life really are for your heart and for your soul. Now, giving up Diet Coke's a minor thing, right? But the truth is, you know, I could have a Diet Coke during Lent anytime I wanted, right? And nobody would know. I mean, come on. I could go out to lunch at your pie, right? And they got the fountain. And, I could, you know, I could be drinking Mr. Pibb for all anybody knew. I could sneak a Diet Coke in there, right? And nobody would be the wiser. 
I had the power to do that. That's not real temptation. It is temptation, but it's not real temptation like Jesus faced. But it is real temptation in some ways. It's a glaring opportunity for us to test the integrity of who we are in our lives. When Jesus goes out into the wilderness and he faces temptation, what the tempter is doing is testing the integrity of Jesus' inner life. Is Jesus really who he says he is? Is he really the son of God in the flesh? I mean, he has all that power, but is he really about his father's business the way that he's going to say that he's about his father's business? So the devil says, you're the son of God. You're starving to death in the middle of the desert. Take these stones and turn them into bread. That's within your power, right? Right? If you are who you say you are, the temptation for Jesus is to use his power for his own provision instead of trusting in his Father for all that he needed. So Jesus, because he knows his identity, because he knows who he is, and he understands, and he understands who he is, he resists the temptation to use his power in the wrong way, and he quotes scripture to Satan, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan says, great, that's great. You got scriptures. I've got scriptures too. I got scriptures too. Come with me, Jesus. And Satan whisks Jesus away to the top of the temple mount. Now, what you have to understand about the pinnacle, the top of the temple mount, is that this is the very spot where the Messiah is supposed to reveal himself. Uh, This is a famous spot. It's the highest point on the temple. And in fact, later on, a guy um, named Simon Bar Kokhba is going to stand up there and proclaim himself the Messiah. This happens a little bit later on, right? So Satan brings Jesus to this place where the Messiah is supposed to reveal himself, and he says, go ahead and throw yourself down. Go ahead and throw yourself down, because I've read some scripture, too, that says that God will command angels concerning you, and that if you, if you threw yourself down from here, an angel would come and swoop and pick you up. So that you wouldn't even hurt yourself. You wouldn't dash your foot against a stone, Jesus. That's tempting, isn't it? You say no scripture, right? Jesus could say, well, that's it's true, that's in God's word. Why not try it? The temptation here, the temptation here is for prestige. It's for prestige to be known. We all want to be known, right? We all want to be somebody. We all want to be, to, to be known for something. We all want to be rich and famous, right? That's what the temptation is here. Jesus, just go ahead and reveal yourself right now. Let everybody know who you are and what you're about and um, prove who you are by jumping off of the temple mount and letting an angel catch you. Jesus says, it's not time yet. The scriptures actually say, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. The second temptation that Jesus faces is all about prestige. And he avoids becoming the icon of what everybody thought a Messiah should be. He says, no, that's not the way that that God wants me to go. I'm going another way. Satan says, fine. Takes him to a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and says, don't you want power? Isn't this what you want, Jesus? Isn't 
Isn't all the power and all the authority and all the dominion over all the earth, isn't this what you want, Jesus? Isn't this what you're supposed to be about, bringing every nation to yourself? Just bow down and worship me, and you can have it all. I'll give it all to you. I'll give it all to you. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan. Get away from me, Satan. Not only do we all want provision to have our needs met, not only do we all want prestige and to be known, but we all face the temptation of power, of power and position. We all want the authority. We all want to be the best and the brightest and the strongest, and we all crave power at some level. Yet Christ shows us another way. He says, listen, the path to power shouldn't be selling out your whole life, who you are and what you're about, to someone else or to something else. Instead, Jesus chooses, chooses to go another way. You know, the truth is, most of us, we can't imagine Satan offering us bread after a 40-day fast. We don't know the fear of being held over the edge of the pinnacle of the temple or, or off the top of the Empire State Building. We don't, we don't know what that fear looks like or that temptation looks like. We certainly don't know the power of, being, the, the, power of the temptation to being offered all of the power and the authority of the world, but every one of us understands the human need for provision. We all understand the human desire for prestige, and we all understand the want for power and the desire to execute our own power. We all know those temptations, and Jesus is tempted in the very same ways that we are. Yet he chooses a better way. He gives us an example to follow. The truth is, temptations, it comes to us in moments when we're insecure about who we are in Christ, who we are as God's people. Temptation, it comes to us when we look at others and we feel insecure about not having enough. Temptation comes to us in judgments that we make about strangers or friends who make choices that we don't understand. Temptation, when it rules us, it makes us able to look away from those who truly are in need. It helps us ignore poverty and hunger and disease. Temptation, it rages in moments that we allow our tempers to define our lives or when our addiction to wealth, power, and influence over others, vanity, or the inordinate need for control defines who we are in the core of our being. Temptation wins. Temptation wins when we engage in the justification of little lies, small sins, that, that racist joke, that questionable business practice for the greater good, the criticism of a spouse or a loved one when they're not present. Temptation wins when we get so caught up in the stuff of life that we lose sight of life itself. That's what happens when temptation wins. The truth is we might all be surprised if we were to take a journey into the wilderness of our own souls. If we were to spend these next few days getting in touch with who we are and who God desires for us to be.
We might be surprised by the things that tempt us. The hurt, the anger, the fear that we all keep inside of us. That we never see until we take an honest account of our lives. The temptations that we have become clear. When we step back from the hustle and the bustle and the rat race of this life and examine our lives through the lens of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. So you're invited to observe a holy Lent, to spend time looking at your own life, looking at your own witness, looking at who you are, facing the temptation and the sin in your own life, and overcoming it, not by your own power, but by the power of God living inside of you, the power of God that's present when we're here together in community, the power of God that comes when we confess to one another and we turn our lives over again to Christ. So the question for us this morning is, who is this man that overcomes temptation? His name is Jesus. And he shows us a better way to live, a better way to love, a better way to serve our God. He is exactly who he says he is. And he calls us to align our lives with his life so that we can live in the power and the presence of God. Would you join me in prayer this morning?